This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? Welcome to episode number, what episode number is this? This is episode number 108 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today is Friday, April 5th, 2019. Thank you very much, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that. Also, take a quick minute, rate and review the show. Cannot express this enough. I know it doesn't seem like much, but doing that really Really, really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. Speaking of the podcast, coming up on today's podcast, I got WGRZ TV Channel 2 in Buffalo Sports Director Adam Benini. He's going to be my guest today. I have a good chat with Adam. We talk about his life growing up, his career, little Buffalo Sabres, Little Buffalo Bills, talk some sports media stuff, some social media stuff. And I ask, I'll tell you what, if you follow, it doesn't have to be the Buffalo Bills or any Buffalo team. It doesn't have to be a Buffalo team, period. If you follow any team close enough that you pay attention to the press conferences, you'll know that in every town, there's one or two people in that media who are flat out not scared whatsoever to ask those tough questions, the ones that make the coaches, the players, the GMs, the owners, that can make them cringe. They don't want to hear that question. Adam's that guy, man. (laughs) He is. He will ask anything. He is tough on the people when he needs to be. One of my favorite things about him, I respect him a lot. Great reporter, great anchor on TV. Good chat. Going to have that for you in just a few minutes. After Adam... I got my man Joe back in the house for another installment of the Running With Joe. And I got to let you guys know right off the top here. Usually we talk some bills, some savers. I sprinkle in a few other things. Not happening today. I am being completely, admittedly indulging here. It's WrestleMania week. So we are pretty much spending our entire segment running down WrestleMania, previewing WrestleMania, whatever you want to call it going through the entire card, giving our thoughts, making some predictions, maybe taking a guess or two at where the matches may land, what order they may go in, not counting the main event. We already know what the main event is going to be. We also talk about the WWE Hall of Fame, something that I think is a sham. People continue to get in that just 
do not deserve to, including an inductee this year. Maybe you disagree. I think Joe did. So we discussed that. And he does end with a take that is not about wrestling. But I got to give you a spoiler here. Buffalo Bills, Bills Mafia, you might not like this very much. Let's call it a, to use a wrestling term here, a heelish final take today by Joe. So we got that. Again, Adam first. Busy show today. Not going to waste any time babbling here at the top about other stuff. I want to stay on point. So let's just get right down to business. First up, my interview with WGRZ TV. You know what? That's not as easy to say if you don't have it written in front of you as you think it is. WGRZ TV, Channel 2 Sports Director Adam Benitti, followed by another installment of The Running With Joe. Okay, my guest today has been a standout, award-winning sports reporter, anchor, and sports director for more than 20 years at WGRZ-TV. His on-air takes on the Bills and the Sabres, among other topics, have been must-see through the years, and he's definitely one of my Buffalo Sports TV favorites. I'm talking about Adam Benini. What's going on, Adam? How you doing? Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate that, man. Oh, the pleasure is definitely all mine. I love when I get a chance to get a sports media guy on because I think there's a lot of people out there listening who are in the sports media and sports journalism, and a lot of them want to grow up and be sports journalists. We'll talk about that stuff in a few, but I kind of want to do the same format I do with most of my sports media guests, and let's go back to the beginning a little bit. You grew up in Bridgewater, which is about a half hour or so away from Boston. I'm going to assume that you grew up a fan of all the local Boston sports teams? Yeah, I mean, it was a... An interesting time to grow up. Uh, you know, I graduated 87 uh, from Bridgewater Raynham High School. And so that was right in the heart of like the Bird era with the Celtics. Yeah. And, you know, you really got the, the, the sense of, I mean, what a phenomenal run that was and those battles with the Lakers. Uh, and I, but when I was younger, you know, I kind of came in on the tail end of Bobby Orr's career as well. Um, and to a great extent, that did a lot to inspire me and, and interest me in, in this business. So we split season tickets to the Bruins uh, with another family. Uh, growing up, saw Mario Lemieux score his first goal. Oh, Actually, nice. first shift of his first game, sitting right in the corner uh, down there at the old Boston Garden. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great sports area to grow up in, obviously. Uh, no. Uh, I do not root for the Patriots. I, I did back then when Steve Grogan and Tony Eason, you know, were the quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a Patriot fan per se today. I, when the Celtics, it's interesting when, when it's the sports I don't primarily cover. If the Celtics, you know, are in it in terms of the playoffs and, and heading toward the finals of the Red Sox, obviously my blood will start boiling a little bit. But uh, I've kind of removed myself. It's been a long time since I've lived there. But, yeah, that's where it all kind of started for me and my interest in sports kind of grew up. It started from growing up and watching those teams. Did you play sports as a kid? Hockey. Hockey. And it was probably or that kind of inspired me to put on skates for the first time. And I, I played through youth hockey and uh, up through high school, Division One in uh, in Massachusetts and Bridgewater. We weren't very good, but we played against some – some good players, Tim Sweeney, who played for the Flames and Bruins. Uh, he played for Weymouth North, had a chance to play against him and against some really good talent in some of the uh, 
summer all-star leagues uh, in the Boston area as well. You know what a hotbed. I mean, Western New York obviously is, but Boston is one of your top hockey areas as well uh, in the United States. And so there was some great talent there, and that's where I kind of figured out. I think it was it was, it was a kind of an all-star league in the summer. A lot of scouts there from colleges, and you know, looking to potentially recruit kids. And it was I think it was like the second shift of my first game. I played defense, and this kid. I had them all lined up, ready to take the body at the blue line. And this kid blew right around me <laughs> like I was standing still. And, you know, he didn't score. But, like, I, I just stood there. And I remember right then and there thinking to myself, uh, you know, I don't have the speed to play at this level, you know, in terms of, like, Division One BCBU, where every, a lot of kids, you know, want to uh, grow up there and, and, and play for those schools, you know, like Jack Eichel did with Boston University. So I kind of figured out maybe it'd be better to talk about the game than, than play it. And I decided to go to Syracuse University. I was like going to ask you that next. There. I was like, was that like the precise moment where you said, you know what, maybe I should get into sports reporting as opposed to trying to be a professional athlete? I was always the kid, like during those Celtics years and listening to Johnny Most growing up, the, the famous Celtics announcer. Mm-hmm. I was like the kid who had his tape recorder, you know, the old Morant's. Or Panasonic, whatever, whatever, Marantz is probably too high quality. It was like it was an old, you know, Panasonic Kmart special that I would actually call Celtics and Bruins games, you know, into the thing while they were on TV, Um, you know, at a young age. But yeah, your goal was to, to play. I didn't think I could play professionally, but I thought maybe play at a reasonable level in college. And uh, it wasn't going to be D1. I I probably could have done maybe a D2 or a D3. Uh, But, but once it was really that summer, that kind of that light bulb moment that I just described to you that, you know, I really began to get serious about, um, you know, learning how to edit. And I always had a natural, that was editing videotape in high school. Uh, and, and I kind of sent that stuff off to Syracuse as part of an early acceptance thing. And, and somehow I got into, uh, to the Newhouse school, my SATs weren't where they needed to be, uh, allegedly to, to, to get in there, but maybe some of the other stuff, and the kind of the natural interest stuff I sent some of my work that I had edited, you know, high school football highlights and those sorts of things. And I got in. And so that's how I wound up in upstate New York. I always ask sports media guests when they're on this same question. In your case, you went to Syracuse. Why did you go to Syracuse? When did you know that you wanted to go to Syracuse? And were there other schools that you considered? Had you not gotten into Syracuse, like what would have probably been your second choice? Well, I got into three. Uh, University of Southern California, Boston University, uh, both of which have decent media programs, film more for USC, as you might expect, being in L.A. Right. Uh, Boston University has a good journalism program, but bar none, you know, Syracuse is considered right like among the best programs in the country. Oh, yeah. Uh, That Missouri, maybe Northwestern's a little bit more skewed towards print. Um. But Syracuse for broadcasting, we all know the tradition of the names that have come out of there. And so that was kind of was close enough to home. It was a, you know, a five hour car ride, but I was still far enough kind of away to maybe kind of get the feeling I was out on my own a little bit and at the best school possible. So it all kind of lined up and and it made sense because uh, for a long time I was a dual major there and only because I, I got my first job in the business in my final semester of my senior year. Uh, did I drop the dual major and just went major minor? But you know, it was a a great, great big time sports there to cover between football and basketball programs, 
Uh, it was just kind of a natural fit for me, given the geography and the quality of the school itself. After college, you worked for five years at WSTM TV in Syracuse as a sports anchor and reporter. How did that opportunity come about? And I'm going to assume that that experience went on to really help you with your career. You were young at that oh, well, time. Well, the whole reason I'm here. Okay, so it was January of my senior year. It was on on, on Christmas break. I was dating a girl from Colorado, from Denver, and we're out at Vail skiing. And I get a phone call and it's my father. And he says, uh, you know, a guy from, from Syracuse called and he's a news director. He wants you to call back. And it was the news director at WSTM at the time, a guy named Mark Karras. And so basically what happened was I had done summer internships up in Portland, Maine. Uh, I, I didn't want to do it in Boston because the stations are so big. There were unions to deal with, and it really limited what interns could do. But right. in Portland, I had my mother's South Portland born and raised, so I had some family up there. And you could, at a smaller station, you could do more, right? So I was out covering things. Um, I was out on news stories, on sports stories. And I, you know, bought the control room pizza one night, and I had them let me get on the set and I did some anchoring and that sort of thing. And I submitted that tape the second summer to my faculty sponsor, a professor at Newhouse for a grade, you know, for your internship for the summer. And it was broadcast quality, right? It was shot with real field cameras and, and everything that, you know, was on beta back then, Sony beta cam. And so it was a very high quality compared to what a lot of students would produce at the school and the professor at Syracuse, and this is one of the reasons maybe why you go there, because you deal with these types of people, happened to be a local anchor in the Syracuse market at WSTM, saw the tape, passed it on to the news director at WSTM. And out of the blue, I get a call heading into the, my, the spring semester of my senior year asking me if I'd be interested in the number three sports position at WSTM. So the answer was obviously yes. I got the job. I had to kind of figure out how to manage my credits. That's why I dropped the dual major and just kind of went to the major minor, which I had already qualified for um, academically. And then I worked, oh, I think, you know, 40, 50 hours a week, plus tried to somehow get through school. And, and I wound up at STM, um, learned a ton. And I would, you know, go. my first day on the job was the day that Paul Pasqualoni was hired as head coach of Syracuse football. That was oh, wow. my first day. They called me in a week early because all of a sudden uh, Dick McPherson, you remember, went to the New England Patriots to coach there. Yep. And all of a sudden they hire Pascaloni to coach and uh, they called me up and said, hey, can you start early? We need help today. And they threw me in the I was in the weight room. I remember getting player reaction from, you know, some of the players on the on the move. And they asked me to be on the air that night for the first time. I, I was scared out of my mind beyond excited and nervous at the same time but that's how it started so i was like the number three guy there guy named dave ryan uh was the weekend anchor he's now a play-by-play -play announcer for cbs sports network did a lot of the ub games this year as a matter of fact and but i was the guy they would cover like syracuse football on the weekends that happened to be i graduated 91 right so that's right in the heart of the Super Bowl era here. Yeah. So they would send me to Buffalo on Sundays and I would cover, I was at the AFC championship game against the Raiders, for example. Um, and I would basically come to every home game and 
cover the bills because they were so there was so much interest across the state, certainly in the Syracuse market at that time, which before the bills rise, it had been a Jets and Giants market predominantly, but the bills made major inroads, obviously, in the Super Bowl era. Mm-hmm. And so there was a great deal of interest. And we were an NBC affiliate. And back then, NBC had the game. So the tie in was obvious. So I got to know, you know, a guy named Ed Kilgore pretty well because we were both NBC affiliates. We would share. And five years in, an opening when Mike DeGeorge left Channel 2, an opening came about and it was like almost automatic there were i sent a tape in and and they called me up came over had lunch at colder bay with a news director and was hired uh, the next day so and that's like i came into anchor weekends here and did that for a long time and then when ed eventually moved on uh moved into his spot so that's kind of in a short version of of what's turned into a pretty long story actually <laughs> your very first day on the job that's the day the sabers hired lindy ruff correct Yes, exactly. First day. That's eventful. I come in. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a coaching thing. I guess Pascaloni for Syracuse and Lindy yeah. Ruff for uh, for Buffalo. But yeah, came in and, and went right down and lobbed a question or two, I think, at, at Darcy Regeer at the time. We laughed about that, uh, you know, as time went by since. But that was day number one. Nobody knew who the heck I was. And I still said, ah, what the heck? I'll ask a question. And I uh, wound up doing a piece that night. I was pretty familiar with the the situation here. I did also three years of, I mentioned I grew up playing hockey. When the Syracuse Crunch came to that market, there wasn't a lot of hockey. There weren't a lot of hockey people in in Syracuse. So I had a background. I auditioned for it and wound up doing, in addition to my TV work, I think I did 50, 55 games a year. Some of the road trips, you know, the Rochesters, the Springfields, the stuff that was close, Albany, um, and then, uh, as well as the TV work. So being in, in hockey, I kind of had followed the Ted Nolan situation. Uh, I was, you know, Mike Pekka played for the Syracuse crunch. I called a game, one of the most vicious hits I've ever seen. He hit a guy named Paul Gerard for the Hershey bears. I'll never forget it, but you knew Pekka was something special. You could tell then. And so there was a lot that could, you know, pretty quickly translate over doing a lot of Rochester Americans games, that sort of thing to, to the Buffalo market. I, I, I kind of knew my way around hockey pretty well and obviously football when I, when I came in. So I had kind of a jump start as opposed to coming from another part of the country and, and taking that job. Now you became sports director in 2013. Like you said, after Ed Kilgore retired, what was it like working with Ed and learning from him? Because he's regarded by many, you know, as a legend in the Buffalo sports media community. Uh, he, he was, Ed was great. I mean, Ed's like your favorite uncle, right? We became very, very good friends and very nice guy. The the thing about Ed is he would always kind of steer you in the right direction. Right. Mm -hmm. But he would always let you be you. He would never like tell you how to approach. If you were out of line, he'd let you know, but he would never dictate to you the terms by which you should do a story. He let you decide that. And then he was always very open to opinions. You know, they threw me out there on sports extra back in the day. Um, you know, you're sitting there on the set with John Butler, um, the late bills GM. And it was a pretty, those were pretty charged conversations. And so you're kind of trying to find your way, but Ed would always, he would advise you, and especially if you asked him for help, boy, he'd, he'd give it to you. 
but he would never necessarily force his thoughts. He was very supportive. He would never kind of force his opinion on you. Yeah, I think he wanted uh, me or whoever else to kind of find their way. And so that was always something I was very thankful for. Um, and we always worked extremely well together uh, right up through the transition um, as I moved into his role. Now, you moved to the new side for a little while in 2017. I'm not going to lie to you. As a lifelong Buffalo sports fan and someone who's always followed the sports media pretty closely, it felt kind of weird to me when you weren't in sports, even though it wasn't for long, but still. It felt weird to me, and I'm sure maybe other sports fans as well. Uh, you know what? It's something I enjoy doing. Sure. Uh, it's something I did it tonight, as a matter of fact, on the 5 o'clock, and I'll, I'll anchor the 11 tonight uh, as well. Uh, Scott Levin's off today. Um, I like doing it. It's something that I, you know, would like to do more of, but obviously sports is, uh, you know, uh, an area that I've invested a lot of time in here and I'm still compelled to do. So having the opportunity to do both and WGRZ has been very supportive of that. Uh, and so, you know, as long as they allow it, um, and, and you know what, what's nice about Buffalo is that in a lot of ways, Sports is news. Oh, I yeah. mean, th this market's different than a lot. Like the bills make a legitimate move, you know, like last year when they traded up, um, in, before the draft, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, that led the newscast. Like that doesn't happen in a lot of places. Right. You know, I would argue even Boston, for example, if the Patriots were to make a move like that, it's not, I mean, it's in there but it's not leading the newscast here. It does. So, you know, and I would say of all the things I've covered here, the most impactful, I mean, I go back, I was, I was there for no goal. Um, music city miracle. I wasn't in, uh, Tennessee at the time, but I, I was there that night, you know, in, uh, in, in Buffalo game six for, for Brett Hall. I, 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 I've witnessed some pretty uh, amazing things, but without question, the biggest story I've covered here was the sale of the team from the time that Ralph Wilson passed to when Terry Pagula uh, purchased the team and was ratified down oh, in New yeah. York at the, at the owners meetings. Okay. That was, I remember, you know, digging for shreds of information and I've talked about it on the air since phone conversations with Michael Cohen, who was representing Donald Trump at the time, right? And, and trying to dig whatever you could. And you couldn't find anything because there were non-disclosure agreements. I remember uh, the night and, and going against Tim Graham, for example. Um, and there was a core group of us really hitting that story hard. And I remember we actually, the day we broke that Pagula was going to bid for the team, I had two sources that had told me, for two weeks off the record that, that, you know, that Pagula was in, you remember how shrouded in secrecy that was. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I still, they were so elusive about it. And finally a third source told me it was a hundred percent. He's bidding for the team. And so we finally went with it, but the, like the, you know, you couldn't be wrong. It was so charged and the, the information was so hard to come by. And, and, and so much in the community depended on the outcome with the threat of the team moving. I mean, as it, as it turns out, they weren't going to, the Wilson estate was never going to sell to the Bon Jovi group, Tannenbaum, the whole, any interest in moving the team to Toronto, that was not going to be part of 
Ralph Wilson's legacy, Mary Wilson never would have allowed it, ever would have allowed that. And there's no way Donald Trump was going to be an NFL. He had a better chance, as it turns out, of getting elected president than being an NFL owner. So really, I mean, they were kept around to just drive the price up to $1.4 billion that Pagula ultimately paid. But I mean, that, that was the biggest story I've covered. And I guess getting back to your question, that was lead news every night. So what's interesting about the Buffalo market is that the stadium, for example, is going to be a block news, any development that takes place. They Very come out true. with another survey. The next thing, the next the time they say anything about it or someone else says something about it, it's going to be in the A block of the newscast. So Buffalo is a very interesting market in that perspective. And I think in that way, it's allowed me to kind of branch out a little bit. And it's something I'd like to continue doing. Oh yeah. I'm just being completely selfish here. I'm a sports guy. You know what I mean? I want, I want Adam talking <laughs> sports all the time. That's just me being totally selfish. You know, well, I'm, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you've made a ton of friends in the sports media throughout your years here, your colleagues. Is it ever tough sometimes to manage a little bit, you know, that line between being friends and supportive of each other and their careers. But at the same time, you kind of said it yourself. You want to kick the shit out of your competition when it comes to getting the best story or having the best interview or presenting it the best, having the best sports cast. You know what I mean? Sometimes could it be a little tough balancing friendship versus competition when it comes to sports nah, media? Not really. I mean, you know, when I broke in in Syracuse, for example, you know, you learn this. Um, there was a guy who worked at WTVH, the CBS affiliate who kind of initially took me under his wing a little bit, was very supportive, very friendly. He was the sports director there briefly when I first started in the business. And you might've heard his name. He was a guy named Mike Tarico. Oh, I think I might've heard of him. Okay. So he was, he had come out of Syracuse university and was working at the CBS. His first job was at the CBS. My first was at the, the NBC. And he was, I think three or four years ahead of me at Syracuse, but he, you know, I was, I was, I mean, I, I've burned a lot of the early tape of me on the air because it was just brutal. But he was very supportive and helpful. But at the same time, when it came to like the Syracuse University basketball investigation going on the air and competing, you would want to, you know, obviously win that story. But we'd all wind up at a sports bar after the show and drinking beer together and, and kind of talking about the stories. We go back and do it and compete again the next day. So that was kind of my introduction to the business. And what's been nice about Buffalo in my time here, if you go back, who's been here, there really hasn't been a bad apple in the bunch. Everyone kind of gets along really well, you know, when you're on the road. Um, I've always gotten along extremely well with the Buffalo News crowd, and and it's been great to evolve and and build a show with them, Sports Talk Sunday, that we do now. Um, And, you know, it's, it's really been interesting. But, I mean, Vic Carucci, I remember my first year here, uh, it was Marv Levy's last year as head coach of the Bills, 97, right? And we're in Green Bay, the final game of the season. You might remember the game that Steve Tasker got kicked out yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You know, Steve and I worked together in the ride for Roswell now with hers, with his West Her tie-in, and they're a primary sponsor for that event, and Channel 2 is a sponsor as well. And we joke about it. I'm like, yeah, I was at Lambeau, man, when you got kicked out, and he still, he laughs. But the night before that game, you know, I'm at a restaurant table with John Murphy. Uh, I remember Vic Carucci was there and a, a bunch of Buffalo media, you know, competing. But we're having like prime rib the night before the game. At, uh, I, was in, I think it was in De Pere, Wisconsin. I think the Union Hotel somehow I remember that. But I mean, so when you're out on the road, you get together 
uh, over in London, we've had great times and whatever, whatever you're on the road with the bills and everyone hangs out and it's kind of a supportive atmosphere, but you compete like heck when you're on the air. The one of my favorite things about your career and the way you do sports. And I talked about this on my opening of the podcast earlier, when you're in a room, if you're a sports fan and you like a team enough and you're listening to a press conference, there's always one or two guys who are going to ask the toughest questions. You're one of those two guys, whether it's a coach, a GM, an owner, a player. And, you know, you can see them sometimes start to cringe because, you know, those hard questions are coming. A lot of reporters and a lot of great reporters, too, by the way, they tend to, I don't want to say softball questions, but they're not going to ask the question that I know fans want to hear. You're one of those few guys I, I can always tell. But I hear your voice. I don't have to see you. I can hear the voice. And I know a, a tougher question is coming than most. You've always had that ability, like no fear to really fire in those tough questions. I think it's just something I was taught to do. Um, it's something that as a brand at Channel 2 we do, but I, I really don't do it as a, an extension of that. Um, I just think about, and there's a lot of great sports media you know, in Buffalo that you're shoulder to shoulder with. Um, but I just, I think a direct question, I, 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 you know, you don't even want to grandstand. You know what I mean? It's just, you just want to ask the question directly and to the point and try and get an answer. And I think that's, to me, it's way less about the question, right. And way more about the answer. But I think the way to get the best answer is to ask certain types of questions firmly and directly so that it requires a straight or as straight as possible as possible uh, an answer. So that's kind of the approach I've taken. And, you know, I, I think this, I think that Buffalo is a great sports town. It's one of the best in the country. Fans are highly critical here and they should be. They've been through a lot with these teams, not enough good and too much bad, especially obviously over the last, you know, bit here. And, I think that enough people have told me they appreciate those types of questions because they want whatever answers the, 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 the team is willing to give. And they deserve it here because it's such a part of the, of the, you know, it's just ingrained into the culture of the community. And I think from a credibility standpoint that you need to be able to ask those questions. We're not fans of the team. You can't be a fan of the team. Of course right. you want the, you want the bills and sabers and anyone else from here, UV to do well. Sure. You know, you root for the community, but I mean, you're covering the team objectively. And in order to do that, especially with the types of teams they've had with the, the Bills playoff drug, for example, and the way the Sabres have struggled, I think it requires you to ask those types of questions and deal with those types of topics. How's your experience been talking and dealing with the Bagulas since they've taken over as owners? They don't talk often, so I would have to imagine that that's kind of a tough gig. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, oh, just last week, actually. Yeah, in Phoenix. Uh, we had a crew out there, but um, when it became, we were kind of caught between the chance that UB would go to the Sweet 16 in Anaheim and the owners' meetings. But when the availability became known and UB had just lost, we actually booked the ticket, you know, um, on Monday and flew out first thing Tuesday morning because the Pagulas were going to be available. And that speaks to your point. They aren't, they aren't available. They should be available more. Um, you know, a excuse me, a lot of ownership isn't, but uh, I think in their dual role and with what they've taken on here, 
you know, two, three times a year, I don't think would be out of the question or asking too much. But as it happens, they spoke out at the owner, owner's meetings in Phoenix last week. And so we went out there and, and there was a good representation of Buffalo media that was there. And so, yeah, I mean, I, you asked me what it's been like to cover the Pagulas. It's limited. It's very limited. Um, and there are a lot of questions that need to be asked. So that's why you fly to the West Coast for basically two interviews, one with Terry and one with Kim. And I thought, you know, they I, I give them credit for devoting time. I think they each gave us about 15 minutes. And we covered a wide range of topics from stadium questions to the changes at PSE and the environment down there with the allegations of sexual misconduct, that sort of thing. Uh, and obviously, Sabres questions. The Bills, where here we are at an NFL event, and the Bills were like the lowest on the yeah. priority list. Yeah. Um, but that also suggests that, you know, they should be available here more often. That would be a criticism I'd have of them, is that, you know, hockey reporters should be able to ask hockey questions. Beat reporters, for example, um, and football beat reporters should shouldn't have to travel out of market to talk to them. And, you know, that was the case last week. And I, I think we we got some things out of them in terms of uh, Terry Pagula's support for Phil Housley. And I think there was a window that opened up there in terms of the stadium when he said I kind of pressed him a little bit. Uh, you know, I know they're doing the study and everything, but in terms of his background as a businessman, what does his gut basically tell him? And he said it would be a scaled back version of some of the palaces you see built, you know, the Buffalo style quote. And I think it, it, it sounded to me like he was leaning more toward building something as opposed to a renovation. And in recent weeks, uh, the wind uh, from, from people I've talked to, it's very, very shrouded and no decision has been made yet. So I've been told, but now the momentum is kind of, swinging slightly towards a bill i suppose the market study is going to be the ultimate you know whether the market can support it or not that's the big question financially from an economic perspective what model is going to work best but you know those are things that fans need to hear like i said that stadium question is going to be lead newscast whenever it comes up so and i think that when there are developments the pagulas should be made available especially i think since i think the taxpayer money is going to be involved i got two more sports media questions for you like I said, I've been blessed to have a lot of sports media guests on this show. So a lot of people who are interested in it or tweeting me or always emailing me questions. And then I kind of pass it along to you guys. One of them was a good one. I like this one. It asks, when you're on the air for as long as you've been and done as many shows as you have, every day can't be easy. How do you get yourself through the day when for some reason you're in illness or you're just feel burnt out that day or whatever? You're just not feeling it that day. How do you get yourself through that day and, and still deliver the best sportscast or newscast that you can. I think it's, I think it's like anyone else who's in their job in any job. Right. And, um, and cares about delivering a quality performance or, or, or making a quality pro producing a quality product. Right. Sure. Um, everyone, I don't, I don't pretend this job, this job is different in some ways, but it's very much like, Many other jobs. In a way, um, but if I'm tired and having a bad day and I feel burnt out, I could just kind of slump over in the corner of the office. Your your face is going on camera and you're going to represent WGRZ and thousands, if not several thousand people are going to be watching you do that sports. It's like you're not allowed to have a bad day, not on air anyway. Yeah, well, I've had plenty. Okay. You know, 
<laughs> so I think you just, I mean, I think people get it. I think, I think it's just be authentic. Yeah. Um, and you know, there is, if, if you are having a bad day, more people are going to know about it than in the average job. You're right. Um, but I think it's applying the same, you don't mail in any show, every show you put the most thought, the most effort into, right. That's always been the approach I take. And I try and maximize that and think about the best way to do it. Or if there's a late change, get as much information into the show, even if it means blowing up the rundown and changing things around at the last minute. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's what it is. And I think not just for me, but for those of us who've been in this business a long time, I mean, I think you have to take that approach. Otherwise the quality is going to suffer and, you know, and then you can probably question your job security because if your performance isn't what it needs to be, uh, that eventually is going to catch up to you. Sure. Here's the other question. People listening might want to become a sports journalist. What's the biggest piece of advice? I'm sure there's several, but what are the one or two biggest pieces of advice that you would give someone out there right now listening who says, you know what? I'm interested. I want to become a sports journalist. What's their steps? What do they need to do? All right. So it's, it's, I would advise a couple of things. Um, and Bob Costas passed this advice along to me and others at Syracuse university, by the way. Um, and, and others have in the industry as well, but I'll never forget. He came in and spoke as an alum, uh, spoke to a class I was in and learn about as many things as you possibly can. Okay. Like don't just, I have a minor in political science, uh, and government policy study from Syracuse university. Um, I've actually used that through the years. Okay. okay. You want to learn about it. Don't just like, as if you're young, like narrow cast your, your vision to sports, do as much as you can. Um, because a, you want to be a well-rounded journalist B you might have to break into the business doing new. I did news at Syracuse at, at WAER and WHEN, um, to break in and just get on the air, you know, right. Covering, uh, legislature meetings and Onondaga County and that sort of thing. Like you do all that stuff. So, and you know what? it comes back like you want to be able when there's an opportunity or they ask you to jump onto the news side years later, as has been the case with me, you know, you want to be able to jump in there and do a good job and function in that way. And so don't focus on just sports. Look at the big picture, understand the headlines, politics, whatever. And then, and a lot of it can relate to sports. Okay. So that's one piece. The other piece I would advise is do as much as you can intern. I mean, my internship got me my first job. I told you earlier in our mm -hmm, discussion, right. you know, through the resume tape I was able to produce from an internship. You expose yourself to um, so many people that if you do a good job and they like you, Heather Pruzak interned with us here at Channel 2, and now she's our weekend sports anchor. Yeah, she's great. Okay. So, I mean, that's just one of many examples I could give you of people who've broken into the business that way. It's kind of how you have to do it, and you have to pay your dues. It's not, you know... You got to do a lot, learn to edit, learn to shoot, um, be prepared to work long, difficult hours. Um, and it's not like other businesses where you're forced to pay some dues and they figure out pretty soon in your career, whether you got the stuff to do it or not. And if you're willing to make the sacrifices, you have to, to be successful in the industry. But, 
so those types of things, I mean, don't just study it in a classroom, get out there, intern at a radio station, you know, do a podcast like this, for example, there's all kinds of social media and tech, digital technology. There's all kinds of opportunity to do these types of things. And heck, kids coming up today are so much more well-versed in the digital aspect of this than I am. I'm, I'm playing catch up all the time. Snapchat, huh? Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. I'm functional on Twitter, uh, you know, decent on Facebook and barely on Instagram. Right. After that, you know, there's all, so, I mean, there's so much emerging media now and it's such a, an interesting time to be in the business. So just do as much as you can and learn about as much as you can, both in terms of the technology, in terms of how the industry works and in terms of the subject matter. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this. In the summer of 2016, I moved from Buffalo to Florida after living in Buffalo for 45 years, whatever. And I remember it was just a month or two after I had moved. You were involved in a serious accident, September 2016, struck by a car while riding your bicycle. You suffered a serious concussion and other injuries. I can't imagine how scary that was. How long of a road was it for you to get back to being healthy again? And how scary of a road was it? Um, it was, you know... I was lucky. Uh, it was the intersection of North French and Campbell and Amherst and a, a driver cut me off as I was riding with the right of way. I had the right of way through the intersection. I, I remember the second before impact. Uh, and I remember waking up in the ambulance. Uh, but I mean, I'll say this, if you ride or rollerblade or do whatever, wear a helmet because it saved my life. No question about it. Um, I, you know, I was lucky. I didn't, I didn't have any neck or spine injuries. Um, I did have a brain bleed and a pretty serious concussion, lost my front four teeth. Um, but it was pretty, I want to tell you, it was pretty quick. Um, in terms of getting back to work at three, four weeks, they, they, the hardest, the concussion symptoms were severe for a while, but they went away and, and they kind of rebuilt my mouth. Um, but the, you know, the dentistry was terrific and I was able to get back on the air in about a month and back on the bike in about a month, which was important. Um, concussions are serious. Um, I still have after effects, uh, today yeah. they've gotten much better, but that was my second concussion and a pretty severe one. Uh, so, you know, when you talk about all this information that's come to light on concussions, and the severity of them and how dangerous they can be and how impactful they can be in terms of the rest of your life. I mean, I'm all right. And, but I mean, there are still issues that, that crop up connected to it. So, I mean, I think if anything, it kind of, it sheds light on that, um, that issue. Uh, so, you know, be smart, wear a helmet, ride cautiously. And, you know, this business, when the, the reason why the concussion issue was mainstream, it should be, they're still finding out a lot about it. Right. Uh, and learning about why these after effects take place. And I can remember my one in high school hockey. I mean, I was, they push you right back in the game, you know? So, uh, it's a different era now. Thankfully they take them more seriously, but, uh, it, it, if anything, it shed light on just how serious that issue is. When you were just talking about your path to being able to get back to work after a certain amount of time. You also mentioned being able to get back to cycling after a certain amount of time as well. It's very clear that you have a passion for cycling. And I know that you're involved, deeply involved with the ride for Waswell as well. 
Tell fans out there listening right now a little bit more about that and about just overall your passion for cycling. It it happened for me back in 2004. So one in three people are affected by cancer. And if you haven't been affected yourself, you know someone certainly either in your family or friend who's been impacted by it, right? So my dad lost his battle with lung cancer back in 2004. And right around that time, Channel 2 became a sponsor of the ride for Roswell. And I was not a serious cyclist at the time. But they asked me one night to MC an event, a fall event connected to the ride for Roswell, kind of a thank you for the top fundraisers. And so Rob Ray was there and, and he and I kind of, you know, walked through the program and MC'd it. And I met a lot of people and they said, you should come out, you should ride in this thing. And it kind of felt, you know, we all grieve in different ways. Right. And so it kind of felt therapeutic for me to be involved at a cancer center and, you know, trying to raise money towards a cure and those types of things. So I became involved then I rode the next year and have picked up the sport of cycling since. And so now we, 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 my wife and I ride quite a bit, uh, long distances, but always in the ride for Roswell each and every year. And channel two continues to be a sponsor. So we get to tell some of those stories. I do a lot of cancer related reporting uh, as well beyond sports. And that's the reason why. And I'll just say this. So my dad died in 04 lung cancer. He was a smoker. Uh, he had lasted nine months from his diagnosis with stage four lung cancer. Mm. And this is not a fair comparison, but five years ago or so, as part of the ride for Roswell coverage with channel two, I interviewed a woman, a non-smoker, but her name is Susan Roney. She's an attorney in town here at the time was a seven year survivor diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And the reason she was a seven year survivor is because um, Roswell, a doctor, Carl Morrison at Roswell had come up with a, a test called OmniSeq is the name of the, the test. And basically what it does is it, look at, it looks at your own genetic makeup and determines what the best specific treatment for your type of cancer is for you. Very sophisticated with all this new type of types of immunotherapy coming online. You know, it basically it encompasses all that and tries to target these treatments beyond just chemo and radiation, those types of things, right? Some of the new uh, cutting edge stuff. Well, OmniSeq was developed with funds that came from the Roswell Alliance, which the the, the Ride for Roswell supports. So basically the money raised in that event helped get OmniSeq off the ground. And so here we are. So basically it's 10 or 11 years after my dad had passed nine months after he was diagnosed. I'm interviewing a woman with stage four lung cancer who's a seven-year survivor, and who, oh, by the way, I danced with or next to uh, at Roswell's All-Star Gala uh, this winter, and she's still going strong. That's amazing. So that's the motivation for me, and I realize the diagnoses are, are different and every situation is different. But the bottom line to me is from my dad living nine months to a seven-year survivor with money being raised from the ride for Roswell, that's what keeps me coming back every year. Keeps you know, supporting the event. And a lot of other people obviously feel that way. It's 8,000 riders. I think are going to take part this year. So it's another example of the Buffalo community coming together for an important cause and rallying for an important cause. And that money's made a huge difference. That's just one example. Lives are being saved and extended because of that money that's raised each year. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible, man. Wow. Before we finish with the mini lightning round, I generally don't talk bills and sabers when I have a guest like you on, because 
This interview is more about giving fans a, a chance to know more about you. But I listen, I do have to ask you about the Sabres. What the hell happened this season? How did something so good this year get so bad in such epic fashion? And what do you think needs to happen when this season's over, which is going to be, I mean, we're taping this, their second last game's going on right now. You got the finale Saturday and that's the end of the season. What's going to happen come next week? Anything? Well, it'll be interesting. That Monday news conference, you know, is going to be interesting. Uh, You know, big question. The biggest question surrounds a head coach, right? Sure. And uh, the issues go far beyond the head coach, but I do think the questions about Phil Housley are legitimate. Um, I asked Terry Pagula, as recently as last week, if you heard that interview, how he justifies how he justifies bringing Housley back, given the way the season has turned. And he talks about how he thinks he's a good coach, was a good player, and that he'll develop as a coach. And, and you know, he feels comfortable with the communication in the front office and that sort of thing and how it's translated to some extent on the ice. It's become clear to me that whatever message Housley is trying to send isn't being received to the extent that it needs to be. Okay. And coaching is challenging these days in the sense that I remember talking to Lindy Ruff right before he was fired. And he was pretty open about the fact that kind of the hard edge style of coaching is by the boards. Players expect different and you don't get the most out of players by doing it that way. And Ruff was trying to change his approach, but he just couldn't evolve it quickly enough. And, you know, he was ultimately fired. so I wonder about Housley, like I wonder about any other coach, but especially with the way the season has turned. And they weren't as good as the ten game win streak. I mean, you're right. a knowledgeable guy. I see you on Twitter, man. I you don't you knew. I mean, they, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors involved with that ten game win streak. They were coming from behind in those games. The goaltending was beyond phenomenal. Right, you knew that it was going to level off at the time. I Stu Boyer will tell you this if you ever talked to him. At the time they won ten in a row, I said to him, "I said, Stu, this this team is still going to fight to get into the postseason." And as it turns out, I was too optimistic. Yeah. Um. So I was always realistic about it, but to not be able to win back to back games and to not, you know, I hate to use the term "quit" on Housley, but it sure looked like that some nights. Sure. So I think they have to make a decision on him. And how effective he is as a head coach remains very much to be seen. Having said that, I mean, is Skinner going to resign? I don't know. Do you uh, feel like that was a foregone? Was that a foregone conclusion a month ago that if the money was right, or maybe two months ago, if the money was on par with someone else, that he would have stayed here? But now it's like, I don't know. No, I, you listened to him yesterday. I, you know. He's leaving his options wide open, as he probably should. Right. Uh, I think there's the proximity to his home in Toronto, that issue. But, you know, airplanes are effective. You know, like if if the money's right and the opportunity's right somewhere else, I think he's going to go ahead and take it. Especially, I mean, there's questions about the head coach, the direction this thing is headed in. I mean, wouldn't you have those questions if you were him? Oh, absolutely. I would. Yeah. So um, I think that's kind of where that situation is. I think they have a lot of terrific young talent. you know, and building around, like Pagula talked about, of course, you're building around Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin. But, you know, Eichel has not been in a playoff series yet. Right. That concerns me. Like, I remember Thomas Vanek's rookie year, I'm sitting with Paul Hamilton in Ottawa. 
uh, in that playoff series, I forget which game it was, but I'm focused on Vanek. He was like a deer in headlights, man. He didn't know what to do. He's completely overwhelmed. And I'm not saying that would be the case with Jack Eichel, but you know what I'm getting at here. Sure. He hasn't experienced the game at the level that the postseason brings yet. He hasn't. And that concerns me. Now, I think he's taken a step forward this year. I think he has a ways to go as a captain. Um, but, you know, I think they put the C on him because they wanted him to elevate it. I don't know that he was ready to be captain this year, but I think they wanted him to elevate from a leadership standpoint, given the contract they'd signed with him and everything, that that was the, the way to go. And I get that. I understand why they did it, and, I, and I'd probably do it again. Um, but the depth, the lack of depth, you know, both in terms of scoring, secondary scoring, and defensively, Bottrell has to make some serious moves here. And he's got the ammunition to do it, but I mean, he's got to be, he's got to nail the, he's got to nail it is what he's got to do. Yeah. Um, they should be further along than they are right now. And so, I mean, and there are more questions than answers at this point. I know that Rochester's doing well and they got some, some good talent coming up through. And that's really how you sustain success long-term in the NHL. You have to be able to build through the farm system. And I know that he believes in that through the draft, but they should be further along than they are. This roster is not nearly good enough. And that's on Jason Boxel more than it is Phil Housley, obviously. So more questions than answers. And I don't know what they are right now. All right. Fair enough. And I'm done depressing sports fans out there listening right now. Don't want to talk about the Sabres. Do want to end with the mini lightning round. I do this with every guest. Just going to ask you a handful of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that'll be your answer. You good with that? Yep. All right, favorite all-time athlete? Larry Bird. Favorite non-sports-related activity to do? Cooking. Favorite city to visit? I'm sure you've been to lots of places. Florence, Italy. Wow, okay. Who's the most entertaining fellow sports reporter that you know? It could be anyone. Most entertaining fellow sports reporter. So someone I know, like, working with or someone I just watched? Someone that you know personally, someone that you've worked with or you enjoy, whether it's national, local, print, radio, TV, doesn't matter. Guy named Dan Horde, who is the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals and University of Cincinnati football and basketball. Terrific sense of humor, brilliant, um, but very in touch with news headlines and just extremely well-rounded and just a pleasure to work with and listen to. All right, next one. Favorite sports movie ever? Favorite sports movie er ever? Oh, God, that's a good question, man. (laughs) I've always liked Rudy. Yeah, okay. My son was born to Rudy in the hospital, by the way. It was on the the TV. (laughs) All right, next one. If you could go to a karaoke show, all right, and you had the ability to rock out to any one song, that could get the crowd on its feet, going nuts, cheering for you, partying along. What song would you want to rock out at karaoke? You two, where the streets have no name. Oh, okay. And I would fail miserably if I tried to sing. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in, in a dream world, just like me. So I was. Is you two your favorite music? Because that's that's my next question. Favorite music By artist far. or band? Yeah. Okay. By far, I've seen them like seven times. Oh wow! All right. This is a hard one for a lot of sports media people. If you had never gotten involved in broadcast journalism in any capacity, or if you tried and it didn't work out for you, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? Chef. Chef. Okay. Second last question here. 
I know you're not that active on Twitter. You're active enough, but not that active. Who's your favorite Twitter follow? Like if you could only follow one person on Twitter, who would that person be? Only one person. Yeah, person or handle. Let's be fair. I won't necessarily say a person. Oh, there's there's not one, but you're asking me for one. I, I think Jeremy White does a great job at WGR. Um, I mean, Vic's like me. Vic Carucci is a, a close friend of mine and, and colleague on Sports Talk Sunday. He's he's kind of tweets when the need is to tweet, not sure. to just kind of tweet and engage. Uh, former colleague Jonah Javad's really good. Okay. Don't you think? Yeah. Like yeah. half the stuff he tweets, I don't even understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> He's making references that are just, you know, beyond me. But I don't, I find it extremely entertaining. Okay. And Javad's good down there in Dallas now. He's doing well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, he is. All right, last Who's question. Yours? Who's mine? Who's mine? I get to ask you? Yeah. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I've asked probably 90 people on the show that same exact question. No one has ever said that to me. And now you got I- me on the spot and... I'm kind of, uh, I'm a little shook right now. Let me add one. Go ahead. And only like Mike Harrington, Buffalo News. He's interesting. The, I'll tell you well, that Because much. he's always tweeting. And you don't have to agree with it. Or like, like, another, and Mike and I are, are good friends. Me too. And professional colleagues. We've covered a lot of big stuff and asked some, we've been in a lot of difficult situations actually together in press conferences and that sort of thing at, you know, end of season, uh, you know, things with the Sabres and the Mike Babcock presser up there in Toronto after yeah. he became head coach of the Leafs. So I have a ton of respect for Mike. So this isn't a criticism, and I, but I don't agree with everything he tweets, nor does he agree with everything I say. But I think he's really, really, as, as kind of an old school guy who's adapted to a modern medium, he's a terrific follow on Twitter because he's coming at you with everything from a Sabres standpoint, college basketball, baseball. I mean, he's just terrific. So I think he's a really good follow. Yeah, and, he, and he's engaging with the fans. Sometimes he shouldn't be, but he is. I'm friends with Mike, too. Mike's been on the show twice. I, I love Mike. Um, you got me, really though, good. man. I, I don't, I honestly, I don't know. Maybe The Office, the official Twitter feed for The Office. That would probably be my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question here. And this one's going to be tough, I'm sure. Three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, doesn't matter who it is. You could have oh. three people at your table. Have some food. You, you're a chef, so you could cook for them. Maybe have a couple drinks as well. What three people oh, yeah. would you have? Oh, JFK. Okay. Would be one of them. Probably Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr. Okay. I'd go with. You know, as a journalist, I'm not an autograph guy, right? Right. But a guy, I, I, a journalist in Toronto that I do know who knows Orr, I didn't ask for this, but I have a signed, personalized shot of him scoring the goal framed in black and gold in my home office at home. And it's, you know, or is, I just think he's such a class act and he just revolutionized the position oh, of sure. defense in the NHL to such a great extent. Um, who would be my third? Well, probably the music of, I, I should come up with a better answer for you than this one, but I'd love to talk, have dinner with Bono. That's cool. Only not just because of the music, but like all the human rights stuff that he does. Sure. And he's so vocal on so many issues that I would love to get his take, not just on the music stuff, but um, so, so yeah, it's kind of a wide range there, but yeah, those would be my three. I'll tell you what, that Bobby Orr answer gave me inspiration for future guests. That's going to be another question I ask. If you could get the autograph of one person, even if you're not an autograph person, if you could have one autograph, one person sign an autograph for you, who would it be? That's a good future question, man. I like that. 
All right, man. Well, listen, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. What am I missing? And I'm not watching the Sabres right now. I'm in an old edit bay talking to you. Are you watching them? I don't even know what I'm missing right I'm now. not watching them. I don't want to watch them. <laughs> I don't really <laughs> care. I honestly have. I've had enough of them. Get these two games over with. Everyone out there listening, give Adam a follow on Twitter at Adam Benini. Of course, check out his work on Channel 2 and WGRZ.com. Dude, thanks for doing this. This was fun. I originally had only planned maybe 20, 30 minutes max, but you're so interesting. We went for almost an hour. Good stuff. I appreciate a bunch of great questions. Good to talk to you. And you're not bad on Twitter yourself, man. You're always <laughs> chiming in. I like that. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranalytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out mattcundlevoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, it's that time again. I am joined by my buddy Joe from New York City. Buffalo wins on Twitter. Another segment of The Running with Joe. We have not talked much lately, man. You've been uh, Usually we talk more than this throughout the week, but you've been busy with work. Work's kind of kicking your ass lately, huh? Uh, I'm stressed. It's, as you said, work is kick, kicking my ass. I'm uh I'm looking. I'm I'm doing development for a network for a show where basically we're looking for individuals who, it's kind of like a mountain man, like Mountain Men, like that show on History mm-hmm. meets like wilderness wildlife. So basically, in like a perfect world, it would be like, hi, I live in the mountains or in the swamps and the bayous, and next to me I have like I live with like a habitat of like wolves or bears. Or something like along those lines. Or maybe I work in an ecosystem and I live in the ecosystem. An ecosystem being like the park. Like, you know, like the Yellowstone Park. And it's like, oh, there's bison here and I live there and, you know, I take care of the bison or something like that. So it's been kind of stressful, like, finding these people. So if anyone is out there and knows anyone who knows about wildlife and it's around them, please contact me on Twitter. Buffalo wins. I'll make you famous. (laughs) let's turn our attention to the wrestlemania preview wrestlemania 35 this sunday which you will be in the house you'll be in attendance court before we get to the matches i want to get your quick general thoughts on the hall of fame class we've got brutus beefcake harlem heat tory wilson hockey talk man heart foundation and of course the generation x what do you think of that group as a whole and is there anyone in there that you're like why are they in there or maybe someone off the top of your head you're like they should be in there. What's your thoughts as a whole of this class? I think it's a really good class. I have no, I have no beef with any of them getting in. Um, if you want me to be picky, I think with DX, I think it's kind of weird for Triple H to get in now before he gets in as an individual, which is kind of a little bit like you know, like Flair got in and then he, they then he got in as a, with the Four Horsemen. I Bret agree. Hart got in and then he's getting in with the with the Hart Foundation. This is kind of a little bit weird. Uh, in that, in that regards, obviously China's not going to be there. So I'm curious. I mean, China's not 
she's dead. But like, what's their, how are they going to present her? Like, does her mom come out or, you know, and, you know, I don't, I don't know how that's kind of awkward a little bit. It's too bad that you didn't honor her when she was alive, but she was like completely blacklisted from them because she did porn and, and bang triple H and all that sort of jazz. Um, but yeah, I dig it. I, I do honky tonk man, man. That was the guy in the eighties, early nineties. I, I fucking hated. Like he was the guy who I would be like, I cannot wait till this guy gets his ass kicked, you know? And it, cause he was just, he, he grew, yeah, I just hated him. Like the cybers, Jimmy Hart in his stupid microphone, you know, he had Peggy Sue come out. Like he was just annoying. And I remember he was a good heel. At, yeah. He was a great heel. And I remember my, my first wrestling show I ever went to, it was like probably around 1988 at the odd. And like the main event was honky talk man versus Brutus beefcake. Title was on the line and like Jimmy Hart was banned from the arena. Cause that was when Jimmy Hart just, he would just interfere. That's all he did. That's all honky tonk man would win. Like Jimmy Hart would hit someone with his fucking me- megaphone call it a day. And, um, in that match, honky tonk man came down to the ring and Peggy Sue was there. And Peggy Sue was Jimmy Hart dressed in drag. And the finish would always be like Peggy Sue would get in the ring, try to interfere Jimmy. And then Brutus would grab her and, rip her clothes off and it's like oh my god it's jimmy hart you know in drag and run off and th- that would be the dq but uh beefcake you know I-, I was always kind of a little bit of a mark for beefcake as a kid i loved him cutting people's hair i thought it was awesome you know for him mm-hmm. to do that it was it was different he sucked in the ring i mean the, the ring talent's not that great it comes of, in terms of the work rate like Conking talk man was never really great in the ring neither was brutus um neither was know, tory no- wilson yeah. Yeah. Her, you know, I, I know some people have kind of a, a little bit of a, a stick up their ass about her, but like, look for forever, they treated, you know, they want to get women in obviously, you know, with the women's revolution and all that, the women, but like prior to tw- 2012, there was only like three, like legit, like women, like you're like, Oh yeah, this person can wrestle like Trish, Lita, you know, maybe I'm missing someone else, Ivory, I guess. I don't know. And then you had like Sable, who was like the eye candy, who hasn't gone in yet. Uh, but there's not that many girls to pick from who were like legit wrestlers. And she was fucking smoking. I mean, she was hot. I mean, fuck. You know, I don't remember too many of her storylines, but she still looks good to this day. So, you know, they want to definitely get a girl in. And see, this is where I just don't agree with that. I mean, at this point, is every female that wrestled in in the Attitude Era going to end up in the Hall of Fame? Who's next? I mean, is um, Molly Holly deserves to be in? She should be in. But is Stacey Keebler going to go in because she was hot? Where I mean, where does it end? I mean, she was there for a while, dude. She was there for like five, six years. You know, she had hot legs. I mean, look, that's how it was. I mean, sorry, like if we're not being you know, woke enough or whatever the fuck. Uh, but yeah, that's how it was, man. Like you I, can't, you can't, who are you going to put in? I mean, the only nobody, if it, it does, I don't, I don't agree with the fact that a female should be going into the hall of fame every year. If there's not a female worth, if there's not a female that's worthy of being in the hall of fame, you know, it's funny. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. We could have a whole discussion just about this topic, but last year at this time, rich who worked with you on Buffalo wins, he has his own wrestling show. And I did his show last year. It was a Hall of Fame show, and we kind of had this same kind of debate at the time. It's like, it's the, it's the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of Good. It's not the Hall of people who had a nice well, little run. The Hall of Fame Coco in any where, sport. Dude. Exactly. Coco Beware shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. It's supposed yeah, so- to be the best of the best, whether it's wrestling, which is an entertainment sport, or a real sport. It's There needs to be a standard. It's not because you want to sell tickets to the show, and that's definitely a big reason why they're 
some of these people do get in. Dude. But come on, man. Tori Wilson, was she really a Hall of Fame wrestler? Really? Well, like I said, they didn't give a shit about any of that then. Like, she she dealt with the hand that was dealt with her, and she was like, you know, she wrestled. She was a valet. That was a big part of it. She was there forever. Um, but, like, look, it, it's the fucking Hall of Fame. It doesn't even exist. Like, it's fucking invincible. I know, mind. but still. At I mean, Charmel going to go in. Gail Kim's going to go in at some time. I mean, come on, man. I don't think Gail Kim's going in. She hates Lillian Garcia, I mean, she was an announcer for a lot of this. Is she going in the Hall of Fame, too? I mean, Howard Finkel's in it as <laughs> the announcer. I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, I get that. But, like, look, if they want it, they, you know, they, I'm surprised they didn't do a celebrity wing this year. I know. Uh, they may I, as well. I'm, 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 I, you know, do Dennis Rodman or Carl Malone or something like that. Like, get WCW guys in or, you know, let's, I, I don't know. Yeah, let's let's run through the actual card. We got a lot of matches to get to. We're not, and some of these aren't worth spending much time on at all. But just let me get a prediction from you. If you got a thought or two, that's fine, too. We'll start with some of the pre-show stuff, the Women's Battle Royal. I'm not going to run them all off because most of these wrestlers, who cares about Asuka's obviously in there, Carmella, Naomi, uh, the Riot Squad, Selena Vega, a couple others. My poor Asuka. Who do you think wins? Is is she going to win the Women's Battle Royal? I don't see any benefit to her winning. If anything, I would think maybe someone else wins to build up a little bit of credibility to challenge her afterwards. I don't freaking know. Well, she lost the championship, so they may want to have something where, you know, she gets some some of her mm, heat back. I so guess. it's like, oh, hey, she did this. But, like, every every time with these battle royals, they always have, like, someone that wins. And you're like, why the fuck did this guy win? Like, Mojo Riley, Riley or whatever that one year he won. And, you know, right. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't even know. I, you know they're, getting, I I, they're getting everyone on the show. I, I get that. And it is the pre-show. But. I mean, Mickey James, Sarah, come on. Does that, and Dana Brooke, does anyone give a shit? No one, no, no one cares. Give Asuka, me a winner. I'm saying Asuka is going to win. They're going to, they want to get the mark. You know, it's going to, it's going to be a, a heavy mark crowd and they all, the mark, you know, the mark's definitely like Asuka. I'm, I'm going with Asuka. All right. Andre the Giant, men's battle world on the other side. Ugh. You got the guys from Saturday Night Live, Braun Strowman, Fuck obviously. Paulo Cruz, uh, really, I mean, Bobby, I'm like, why am I saying Bobby Roode? It's a bunch of people, again, who cannot get on the main card. And who wins it doesn't mean anything. Matt Hardy won it last year. I bet you didn't even remember that until I just told you. I don't. I just remember. I remember when Cesaro won. Yeah, Cesaro like won the first, first one. He won, He's a, that, a former that, winner. Mojo Riley won a couple of years ago. Baron Corbin yeah. and the Big, big Show. Big Show, I think, won. Yeah. Again, yeah. you got to struggle to remember half of them. Nobody gives it's, a shit. It's a gimmick thing. I'm, yeah, it's going to be Braun. Braun's gonna win. I, I think they're so weird what they've done with Braun. Like you know, he was a big part of their main event programs from last year, and they're putting him in the fucking battle royal with like his main feud is with fucking the SNL people because Vince loves to like oh we got to get that pop culture thing going on, right? You know, with like that. I, I predict he's gonna win. Um, I wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me if they're stupid enough to where they're gonna be like oh let's have the SNL guys win so it will make good more you know. You know, whatever the hell the the Good Morning Show is on NBC, the Today Show, like right. the next day they're like, oh look, the SNL guys won the, the Royal Rumble, amazing! Ah, like they could do that. It's definitely going to be some something in that combination. I will throw a dark horse in. I would not be surprised if Nicholas makes an appearance, and maybe he's like there as like the final four somehow with with Braun, Nicholas, and those two SNL guys somehow in like some sort of. It's going to be all comedy for that whole sh- that whole shit right there. Probably so. You're right. 
like I said, you got the Hardy brothers, Gallows and Anderson, bunch of decent names that they just have nothing for that have flopped on WWE television. Just throw them all in a men's battle world, whatever. Anyway, moving on, probably also going to be on the pre-show. We got the Cruiserweight Championship. Buddy Murphy is going to take on Tony Nese. Probably be a good match. Doesn't move the needle for me. The Cruiserweight division just doesn't. But anyway, give me a winner. Who you got? Uh, uh, Tony Nese because he's from here. Okay, I guess. All right, so let's get to the main card. I'm assuming all these matches will be on the main card. No specific order for the non-title matches. Let's start Roman Reigns returning to face Drew McIntyre, who's attacked and beat the shit out of him the last few weeks. How do you see this playing out? Oh, God, it's going to be Roman. Do you th- I, I'm not 100% sold on that. I mean, I mean, it's technically his, his comeback singles match. Uh, 50-50 booking does make sense. So maybe, maybe Roman wins Sunday, and then Drew McIntyre wins a rematch, and they have a rubber match, and this feud goes on for a couple months. This, this probably isn't a one-off match. Yeah, I just think it's it's Roman coming back to Mania. Yeah, he's the, he, Vince loves Roman. Come on, Vince is fucking gonna shove him down our throat after this. After you know, like he did for five years. Yeah, and, it, it makes sense. I, I get that. All right, we got it's gonna be Roman. All right, next we got AJ Styles facing Randy Orton, two of the best wrestlers in the business, a pair of future Hall of Famers for sure, some of the best to ever do it. Uh, you know. It feels to me more perhaps than any other match on this card. These are two guys that just, they didn't have anything to do for WrestleMania. didn't have anything going on, but they're too important to the WWE to not have on the card. So they said, let's force feed this angle together. They're trying to hold Randy Orton, the chosen one versus you know, the indie wrestler, AJ Styles and stuff from that regard. It kind of falls short for me, but in terms of being a wrestling match, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it, regardless of having a lack of a great build. How do you see this playing out? I can, I'm going to say AJ Styles wins. All right, not a lot needed to add to that. Next up, we have his retirement match. We got Kurt Angle wrestling, and it does indeed look like it's going to be Baron Corbin. Read a lot of reports over the last several weeks that someone else ultimately would take that spot, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Kurt Angle versus Baron Corbin. How do you see that, man? How does it play out? Oh, God. It's fucking terrible. I hate Baron Corbin. I think Corbin's going to win. Really? Especially since, especially since on Raw, like, Angle got the best of him with the ankle lock. That usually spells, like, you're going to lose. And I think Kurt Angle's leaving, leaving. Like, he's doing StarCast. Like, he's out. And I think it's going to be, like, him putting over this this asshole and Vince, you know, Vince loves Baron Corbin. I don't, he's just a tall goof who I think anyone in that company can cut his promos of like the insincere asshole. Like it's a very easy promo to cut. You and I can cut it, but he's tall and he's kind of has like five moves of doom. Ugh. But I, I think he, I think he's going to beat him. I'm going to go against you on that. I generally agree with you when somebody's on the he way tracked. out. When somebody's on their way out, usually the, the saying is you leave looking up at the lights, meaning you get pinned, you put the next person over. That's generally how it works. But this is, I think, his legit farewell match. It's WrestleMania. I think the reason why they picked Baron Corbin is because I think Kurt's going to, I don't want to say he's going to dominate him, but he's going to tap him out in the middle of the ring. So I'm, And I am going to keep track. So I got Kurt Angle here. Next match, falls count anywhere. 
got Shane McMahon against The Miz. How do you see that playing out? Uh, gosh, Shane McMahon hasn't won a match in like 500 years, it feels like, since he came back. He loses every match, basically, if it's a singles match. Uh, I'm going to keep going with that. They just made The Miz a face, and I think they kind of want him, you know, build him strong. So I'm going to go with The Miz. All right, see, this is two in a row now where we're going to, we're going to disagree. I'm going to go uh, with Shane McMahon. And the reason why, quickly, it's a false count anywhere match. And I think they added that stipulation so that maybe they're in the back or somewhere. I don't think The Miz is going to lose clean, but I think someone's going to come out and help Shane win. It could start a new feud with The Miz, and it allows Shane to go back to being general manager or president or whatever the hell he's doing, and not so much an, on a character who's in the ring all the time. So for that reason alone... I could see Shane McMahon winning. Plus, a couple bad guys got to win along the way. Although you did yeah. just say Baron Corbin, so yeah, I mean, I could see your your booking philosophy. They could have a guy who's like interferes, maybe like EC three, like interferes since he's doing nothing, right? And then that life. kicks and off then, something with the Miz, exactly, and that kind of boots him because you're right. They got to they got to get away. I don't need Shane McMahon wrestling six fucking pay per views in a row. Like get him <laughs> off my TV, exactly. All right, no holds barred. His career on the line. Triple yeah. H against Batista. What do you got? God. You know, there's a part of me who wants to say Batista's going to win, but like, there's no way Triple H is retiring. And, you know, if he's going to, re- you know what I, I let me restate that. Like, there's a part of me that thinks like, hey, if you do a retirement stipulation and you lose, it's to put like the young guy over. That's like wrestling 101. Like, you know, like Roman Reigns beating Undertaker, even though Undertaker didn't retire, but like that's like ah, oh, he's like is Undertaker done? Like kind of like that's that's where they left it off at like three WrestleManias ago. Uh, but like sometimes with these retirement shit, they always have the, like, you know, Shawn Michaels retired, and who did he who beat him? Undertaker, who did not need that rub at all, you know, at that time. Yep. So they haven't they don't do too many, you know, retirement stuff. Um, also, Kurt Angle's retiring, so it's like, do you really want to have two guys retire? at the same show. So I think good point. Triple H hasn't won. He has not won a WrestleMania match. I don't even know when the last time he won a WrestleMania match was, it's been a while. Sting, well, he beat Sting, but that was, yeah, that was all kinds of like interference. Four, yeah. And that was four manias ago. And then he lost the year before to Daniel Bryan. And you know, it's been a while. So I think he's getting his win back here and he's going to beat Batista. I completely agree with you. I would say it's a hundred percent, but I can only go 98% because I'll tell you, a couple of years ago when they had Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker, that shock value, it just because of something like that, you never know. Triple H may be more injured than anybody knows. You know, behind the scenes, maybe he has to retire physically, and we don't know about that. And his Batista's his boy, so what a good way to give him a rub. But Batista's not sticking around. I, I just, I can't see Triple H having an unceremonious end to his career, losing to Batista at WrestleMania. But like I said, you do never know. What about... What do we got I mean, next? He made, Go he made real quick. The X factor is we all know he's so integral when it comes to the behind the scenes stuff. Right. And maybe this is like his, okay, I'm done because he has to concentrate while Vince is doing the fucking XFL. And maybe he has to have a, a bigger say with the main event roster. Or something That's like exactly that. what I'm saying. Maybe Vince is going to give him more control after WrestleMania. And there's stuff going on that we don't know about. So that's the yeah. 2% where I could see him losing, but storyline wise and, on the surface, it just wouldn't make any sense. Fatal four-way SmackDown championship or tag team titles, I should say. We got the Usos against the Bar against Rusev and Nakamura. 
against Ricochet and Alistair Black. I really don't care. What do you got? God. Uh, I'm going to go Ricochet and Alistair Black. I think they want to push them as, as big as possible. I'm going with them. All right. I don't care much, but I'm, I'm going to keep the Usos retaining here. Fatal four-way women's tag team titles. We got Bailey and Sasha against Natty and Beth Phoenix against the Iconics, who I love dearly. And uh, Tamara and Nia Jax is the fourth team. What do you got? It shouldn't even be a four-way match. They should have just done it with... I thought you could have done Natty and Beth Phoenix versus, you know, the the Hug and Sock... or Hug and and Boss connection, whatever the fuck they're called. Um, And that would have been fine. And now they're adding more two tag teams. Uh, Anyway, I'm going... They're going to retain. I don't think you win the titles and then, like, you lose them two pay-per-views later. They should have the, the belts for a little while. I agree. I'm with you there, man, for sure. Intercontinental title match. We have Bobby Lashley defending against Finn Balor or Demon Finn Balor, I guess, whatever. I'll tell you, I got to be honest with you, man. I like both these wrestlers individually, but together, this sucks. Probably the dumbest match on the card. For starters, they've wrestled like fucking, it feels like a thousand times already in 2019. I just don't care. And yeah, it's going to be Demon Balor. They, they're they not even making that suspenseful. They gave that away on Raw already. I don't know, man. Put it, let's put it this way. If we were running the Moranalytics podcast interest meter right now on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your interest level on this match? Fucking three. I mean, you're right. They they killed... They And these are two guys who I like. like that's, yeah, you know, I agree. It's, it's just a shitty program. Even, yeah, it's a shit. You're right. They've done it forever. I mean, WrestleMania. So I have a, a a large problem with this card. It's all like remix matches that I've seen on SmackDown or Raw for the most part. You know what I mean? It just, it just. I've seen, I've seen these people in the ring copious amounts of times against each other. Like Corbin versus Angle has been done like seven times. I feel like since fucking since September. So this is again one of those programs. I'm gonna go with Balor. Be, you know, because hey, he's he's the he's coming as the demon. I, I mean, I'm gonna kill, bury the demon with Lashley in regards to that. And I could see, I could see Lashley kind of moving up, moving to do other things like higher up on the card. Nah, see, I agree with you when it comes to the pick. I also think Balor's gonna win. But if there is one single thing about this match that has any redeeming quality for me, is that I don't agree. I feel like the loser has something big to lose here. If Demon Balor comes out and he loses to Bobby Lashley, well, where does he go from there? The Demon can't beat Bobby Lashley? Really? So you got that. And then on the other end, you you say that Bobby Lashley, you know, after this, he might go on to bigger things. Well, if you lose to Finn Balor, what are you going to do? Be, are you going to be elevated to the title scene against Brock or Seth Rollins or, you know, in a feud with Roman Reigns, something like that? I just don't see it happening. So I think that's the one and literally, the only redeeming thing about this match itself, which I don't think, by the way, is going to go on for very long because there's so many matches that'll get more minutes than this one. I don't know. I don't care. But like I said, it's just a, it's a program I don't care about. And you're right. These are two good wrestlers. It's just a program that no they one have cares misused, about. Sorry, they have misused both guys since they've come back. Like, they've debuted forever. Like, last year was, what, last June, July and... Finn has been there for a couple of years and they've just, they've just, just completely messed both of them up. It's just, they're just in mid card hell. I agree. Like. I agree a hundred percent. 
All right, U.S. title match, Samoa Joe against Rey Mysterio. At least that's the way it is scheduled as of now. Apparently, Mysterio hurt his ankle on Monday, so we don't know if he doesn't wrestle. They were talking about maybe Andretti would take his spot. That's just rumors out there. But let's just say, quickly, for the sake of discussion, this match does go on. Who do you got? Um, Gosh, I'm going to go with Samoa Joe. Me too. If Ray doesn't wrestle, I could or actually keep going. Sorry, I didn't want to. No, go ahead. Was, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I could see Cena coming down the aisle for that. Maybe that'd be pretty cool. It's a possibility. Yeah. All right, so let's get to the three championship matches here. We'll go. Uh, let's go Universal Title first. Brock Lesnar defending against Seth Rollins. That to me is the toughest one of the night for me uh, in terms of predicting. We know Vince loves Brock. He loves him as the champion. He just adores him. And he may be saving him for for Roman, you know, to have Roman take it from him. Uh oh man. I I I'm going I'm going with Brock. I think he's gonna retain. I agree. And one of the reasons why is because and we're gonna talk about the other two matches. I don't think you could have the three main title matches all go to the face. Somebody a heel has to win one of them, at least, yeah. if not more. And I mean, maybe it goes another way in another match, but I don't think there's going to be three heel losses. Somebody has to win, and I think of the three, Brock Lesnar's probably the most likely. So I'm with you there, man. What about the uh, WWE Championship? Daniel Bryan against Kofi Kingston. Kofi Mania is going to be running wild. It's got to be Kofi. I mean, they've been building him up forever. The fa- you want a like legit like WrestleMania moment, a pop, it's Kofi, like winning the championship. Because I think he's like the the underdog, the guy who's been there forever. I think like the indie marks like really respect him. You know, this is kind of, you know, where they go. I think it's t- I see, you know, he wins and hopefully they get that and they don't have like some bullshit like Big E turns on him or some shit like that. You know? Why are you stealing my shit? That's what I was just about to tell you. I got this oh. feeling in the pit of my stomach. And you know how it is sometimes with sports and wrestling and entertainment. You just feel something in your bones. And I kind of feel that maybe Biggie turns on Kofi Kingston or maybe someone else comes out to help Daniel Bryan. Maybe Luke Harper, maybe Bray Wyatt, some kind of Wyatt family reformation. And they go on to feud with the new day for three months after WrestleMania and eventually Kofi will win it down the road. But I'm not as sold on you that Kofi Kingston is going to walk out of WrestleMania as a champion. As fun as that would be and as lit as that crowd would get for it. I'm just not there, man. There's just, I got that feeling in my gut. I don't know, man. And like I said, there's, there's gotta be those two or three moments like on the pay-per-view where it's going to piss off the fans. And I have it to where I got the Baron Corbin thing. Like, I think he wins, and that's like the piss off the fans thing. And Brock, and, if you if you're right about Brock too. And the Brock, yeah. Like, thank you for reminding me because I already forgot who I picked. Uh, but yes, those two are the ones that are gonna piss off the fans. I don't think you can have a third piss off the fans moment. I just they have built Kofi for the entire SmackDown brand for the last two fucking months. That's been that entire show, you know. And yeah, come on, they got him. He's got to win. If it's not, I think it's, it will be a shit show at the 
you know, Vince better not show his face. I just, I don't know, man. I, I feel that swerve coming. I really do. Yeah. Let's get to the main event, women's triple threat match, which I'm really excited about. I wasn't for a while, by the way. I kind of lost interest in it, but it it's back. That segment on Monday Night Raw was awesome. I don't like WWE programming lately, but that pro, that segment where they all end up getting arrested and still kicking and fighting with each other was amazing. I don't want to take credit for this. I think it was cage side seats where I read a recap, but they said it perfect. They said that it was like a violent three stooges segment. You know what I'm talking about, right? All the backstage stuff with the cop cars. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a little campy. I thought it was I mean, awesome. I don't know. I, I whenever cops get involved in wrestling, I know. It always looks phony I, and I know, but man, this was different. They all got arrested. They were still going at it. Cheap shots, Rod is behind the wheel. There was comedy in it. It was violent comedy. I yeah. thought it was absolutely awesome. By the way, Charlotte need the hell out of Ronda Rousey. That was sick fight. I was like, damn, that probably hurt her a lot. But anyway, yeah. let's get to the match. We do know that it's going to close the show. That's been announced, which they don't usually do that. They just let the main event right. be the main event, but they didn't want any doubt. So they made that official. So you got Ronda, you got Charlotte, you got Becky. Show's going off the air. The confetti's going down. Are we going to get Becky Lynch holding up both belts like most people think we do? Or are we going to see Ronda Rousey or Charlotte holding them up at the end? Uh, I think we're going to get uh, Becky holding both both championships. What what happens, what happens if Ronda Rousey does resign with WWE? I mean, let me take that back. She's already under contract. What happens if she's not leaving after WrestleMania? Do you think there's any chance that she ends up winning? If she's not leaving... One more thing, and I'm sorry. If Kofi Kingston does win the belt, so you had that memorable moment, would you be okay going off the air for WrestleMania? Say if Kofi's the second last match and he wins the title, or would you you be ready to riot? You're going to be in that crowd. Would you be ready to riot if Ronda Rousey's holding up the belts and Becky gets screwed and she doesn't win? Or not screwed, she just loses. I don't think you... That's not going to happen, dude. It's... They... When you're the main event in Mania, you always go home happy. Anytime they've like done the heel goes over at the end of the at the main event, it kills the crowd. And I think they don't want to do that. It's like Bruce Pritchard used to always say, like Hogan must pose. Like that's at the end of of, of like a WrestleMania, it has to be a face winning. I just feel that way. Um, if she is staying, it does throw a little bit of a wrench in it a little bit because maybe you want to build her up as this monster heel because, you know, Ronda turned heel only a month ago, you know, so you may want to, like, build that up. But I feel like she's leaving, like, to go have a kid for nine months or whatever the fuck she's going to do. Uh, I just can't see that happening. If they, it does happen, people are going to be fucking pissed because I think, look, the fairy tale people for right, Mania when it comes to the fans in that stadium, it's Kofi. It's Becky Lynch. Those are like the two guys that I think they win. You could do whatever the fuck you want with the rest of that card. You know what I mean? Like no one's going to be, uh, you know, outraged over any of the other off losses. Those two, I think, are where the marks. And this is like a, 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 a this is a mark crowd. And, you know, I don't mean to use mark as an insult, but it is where those are the two people that if they go, if they win, it makes the show for them, for the fans, I would say. If they lose one of those guys, I think it's gonna it's gonna look bad. 
you know, it's going to get, it's going to get bad real quick. I agree with you. I do think ultimately, if you put a gun to my head, my life depends on it. I'm taking Becky Lynch a hundred times out of a hundred, but that whole, the fans go home happy stuff. I, I'm not sure about that anymore. In fact, I could be wrong. And if I am, I, I apologize, but I believe last, didn't last year's WrestleMania, in fact, just one year ago, close with Brock Lesnar beating Roman Reigns. Everyone in the world thought Roman Reigns was in the main event. He was finally going to beat Brock Lesnar. And I'm pretty sure that WrestleMania ended last year with Brock Lesnar going over on Roman Reigns. Although to be fair, everyone is behind Becky Lynch right now, where last year you could have made a case that probably more people wanted Roman Reigns to lose than to win. Roman, Roman was very hated last year. So, and you know, and he, they probably didn't want him to have the pop when he would have won that. They would have had to like turn down the volume of the crowds and, and pumping like canned, chance of him being great you know that that's so that's i think it's a little bit of a different twist on that with having the heel you know because again this is a unique crowd you know this isn't your crowd in fucking kansas over here you know what i mean so i think you close out the show i think it's going to be becky winning and standing tall what about the match placement as we wind down here i'm not saying give me the first match through the last match we already know what the last match is where do you see Daniel Bryan and Kofi and where do you see Brock and Seth? And by that, I don't mean like third, eighth, whatever. Do you see like one of them opening the show? Or do you see all yeah. three? Of, do you see them being the last three matches in order? Do you, how, where do you see them spread out those three or the other two? I should say, I would love to see one of them open. And like, I would do the one, if you're going to do one of those guys wins a title, you do that as the opener. Like hey, if a hot open. It's tough but, though. If Co- let's just say, let's just say Kofi and Brian open up the show. Cause you want them way apart from the finish. If Kofi wins the, wins the belt in the first match, the crowd's going nuts. Confetti's going. I feel like when you get that high, that early, it's only could go down from there because you got to remember, well, man, Wrestle, fucking, you're going to be Pat, there in a crowd, dude. WrestleMania is a fucking grind. It's a grind to watch. But Pat, 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 I hate to interrupt. I'm sorry to do that. Uh, no, you're not. It, it's, it, it's too, yeah, you're right. I'm not sorry. Fuck you. It's a running with Joe. Uh, it's a fucking seven hour show. By the time the fifth hour comes, people are going to be dead anyway. So in the beginning, everyone's going to be hyped still. So why not just do that? Do that. That's when you're going to have the fans the most excited. Um, look, that's, I mean, that's what I've read. Like, people, I've not been at a seven-hour show before. I mean, I've watched it, you know, in the you're about know, to my be, couch. You know. You're about to be so, at a seven-hour show, though. Yeah, it's, well, you know, it's going to be a seven-hour long show, you know, in terms of that. So I just feel like... Have it, have it open, like have it hot. I would do like one, I do it in the middle. I do one in the, the beginning and I do one in the middle. And that's like kind of, you break it up into like championship here, championship in the middle and championship in the end. It could happen. I mean, look at it. If you want to get off to a hot start, I, I don't see a lot of other matches where you'll get a bigger reaction. Maybe Kurt Angle winning his first match. Maybe that's a good way. His music coming in right at the start of WrestleMania, the first thing you hear Kurt he can't Angle's even music. wrestle Kurt Angle now. He's like, I, it'll be a five-minute match, of course. One last thing here before we get to your finisher. You've mentioned John Cena earlier. We know that he's going to appear at WrestleMania. He's confirmed for that, but he doesn't have anything advertised. No match booked. What do you think they end up doing with him? It's possible that maybe if Kurt Angle squashes Baron Corbin quick enough, Cena comes out and they have that match. I don't like that at all, but that's possible. Maybe if Rey Mysterio is legitimately hurt enough that he cannot go against Samoa Joe. They could change course and maybe John Cena could take his spot in that match. 
maybe Elias, who's going to be singing and putting on a concert or whatever, maybe Cena comes out and interrupts him and they do a little something together. But I don't know, to be honest with you, that doesn't really, that doesn't get the blood pumping at all for me. What do you see happening with John Cena here on Sunday? Yeah, that's a weird one because they did that last year. Remember when he beat up he beat up Elias last year, and then Undertaker came out and kicked his ass. Um, maybe that's going to be a ritual every year. Cena comes in and kicks Elias's ass. Um, God, I have no idea what the fuck they're going to do with him. I would say like I think the Samoa one is is possible. Maybe the Corbin. C- Corbin Angle one is like maybe look maybe maybe he does beat Corbin even though like I've I've seen the dirt sheet say like Cena has nothing to do with Angle but let's just say I didn't hear that you know you book it to where Angle kicks his ass Corbin like in 30 seconds and then Cena comes out and goes I want to be your final match because of the first match which they should have done in the originally but they don't care I Uh, I love that booking the only issue I have with that is if you're going to have John Cena and Kurt Angle go at it that's something that should have been hyped. The video, yeah. I want the video packages. I want the story behind all of it, you know, being his first opponent and stuff like that. If that was going to be a match and, and that's what they do end up doing, which could happen. I like your point there. But if they do that, that's just awful. That's awful marketing because they should have been hyping the shit out of that if that's well, where they end up you going. Know, they have they have 5,000 matches on this card. Like, and you'd only, there's a time of year where like a three hour raw is so long and draggy, but it's like, you know, it's you don't have enough story. You don't have enough program. You don't have enough time to tell all these these fifteen fucking match storylines. So maybe like having it to where it's a surprise is good. Look, I love surprises. Like at like there has to be a surprise. You know, at a mania. So maybe he comes in and you know maybe he goes in the battle royal and maybe he helps those the two SNL guys. I guess even though like the one guy's the he, their heels kind of. I don't know. It's it's all over what they could do with him. They've been tightly. I, I think I think it's going to be him and Samoa Joe. I think I think like Ray's not going to wrestle if he's hurt. Joe comes out, open challenge, runs down America probably. Who the fuck knows? And like he go and then Cena comes out and he's like, you know, hey, you know, I used to do this with the with the U.S. champion when he had the open challenge. And yeah, I think Samoa Joe is probably the most likely outcome as well, especially if Ray Mysterio can't go. If he can't go. It's either got to be Cena or maybe Andretti. I don't know. We'll see. We'll definitely talk about the results next week on the Running With Joe. I'll also get your perspective from being live at the event, what it was like for you to be at a live WrestleMania, all that stuff. It'll be a good time. That's next week. For now, as always, we're going to end the segment with your finisher. It's what we do. So what do you got this week? What's your finisher? I'm going to make this super quick and like a quick squash match here, but I think it's somewhat weird that people were obsessed with a poll and they decided in order to like own the libs or own Tennessee, they were going to donate money to their charity to show that how, how much better they are as a fan base than the other, than the Titans is, it was just, it's weird to me. And the, the bills fan base are, they're just a very weird group sometimes where they're just, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like they're trying too hard to be recognized and they want to like just pound their chest and be a little too hubris and they're it's it's weird to say that charity is like you know, charity's great. Hey, good give the charity, but like when your intentions are that you're not really you're doing it not to like help people out. I think you're doing it to just show how awesome you are. I think you're kind of uh your intentions are wrong there. 
right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you again, Adam Benini, WGRZ-TV, Channel 2 Sports Director. Matt, I'll tell you, I've had a lot of respect for Adam for a very long time. He's done a great job as Sports Director, and he's been around the media in Buffalo for over 20 years now. Does such a good job. Hopefully you guys got something out of that, got to know Adam a little better. Also got to thank my man Joe, the Running With Joe Always a fun time doing that segment with him. And I, listen, I love wrestling, okay? Admittedly, when I have a segment that's about wrestling, it's a little bit indulging because I know that not every fan who listens to this podcast is automatically a fan of wrestling too. I get it. But you know what? WrestleMania is one time a year. So if one time a year I get my guy Joe on and we do nothing but talk about WrestleMania, hopefully you guys could deal with that. We'll have Bills and Sabres next week, I promise. Anyway, if you have not yet done so, will you please go and subscribe to this podcast? It is quick, it is easy, it's free. You subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your iPhone, your Android, your desktop, your laptop, whatever it is, your iPad, doesn't even matter, within just seconds literally seconds of the release that is always the benefit of subscribing to the podcast simply put you're going to get the episode before anyone else does of course we have a show every tuesday and every friday don't forget to also rate and review i know that only takes a second and it doesn't sound like much but i can't emphasize this enough it really helps me grow this podcast tremendously You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. I could keep going on forever. Pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Second last thing, don't forget about our new YouTube page, Moranalytics Podcast. On there, you will find clips from this podcast. You'll find highlight clips from previous episodes. We're going to eventually have some exclusive audio content, maybe a little mini pod here and there. Might even do some videos down the road. Again, hit subscribe there, that little notification bell, and you'll know when something new is out. Last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pabaran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you out there that are helping me make this podcast grow. Really, seriously, I appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Catch you next Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.